Hey everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz and I am your fine host for today's podcast. And I'm also a director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. I think I've only done this one time, but uh, it might be good for me to occasionally emphasize that uh, we are able to do what we do in Fruitful Vine Ministry as well as these podcasts by the donations of uh, gracious friends. And if you know me or don't know me and are looking for a way to support uh, a ministry out there that you believe in, I would love for you to uh, consider supporting us. You can just go to uh, my website, www.fruitfulvineministry.com, fruitfulvineministry.com, and there are giving options there. So today I'm going uh, to be talking to uh, a good friend of mine, Dwight Smith, and he has written a phenomenal book called Freedom from Bondage to the Flesh, Recognizing and Rejecting the Sin that Keeps Us from Victory in Christ. I'm just going to read what he writes in the back of this book because I think this will set it up the best, better than I could in just my own words. But he says this, Hundreds of church leaders today are ignorant of the power of the flesh in their lives. In our day, the false teaching that people are not sinners by nature has returned to the church in force. This has had a profound impact on believers, blinding them to the flesh still resident within them, and weakening them in their battle against the ongoing sin nature. Thus, many fall short of the victory God intends his people to have. God intends us to have victory over the flesh, but we must first recognize the enemy lurking within us. May God give leaders of his church the wisdom and tenacity to confront what may be the greatest danger to biblical faith in our day, the flesh within us, that is at war against us. So uh, I'm going to be talking to Dwight about this very subject, about his book, broaden the topic to include conversation about the church today, uh, and just the importance and significance of righteousness and holiness for leaders. So let's jump into that right now. Okay, I have the privilege of interviewing for the second or maybe third time Dwight Smith, and you are in Colorado Springs right now. Dwight, thanks for getting up so early and uh, having this conversation with me. Glad to do it. Look forward to our time. Awesome. Well, we're going to be talking about a book that uh, you recently wrote, and uh, this will obviously take us in different directions. But tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. And I, I always love to ask people what drives you. And is that different than what drove you when you first went into ministry? But we'd like to get to know you a little bit before we start in this conversation about your book. Yeah, well, I mean, at this point, I'm at, towards the end of life. At, I'll be 76 in January. So I'm strong. But nonetheless, I, I know that I'm towards the, that last phase of life trying to finish well, especially with a younger generation behind me that I am connected to. Uh, grew up in the church. Father was a pastor, was a missionary. Uh, later on, was the president of missionary agency. And then in 96 or so, started SCPI, Pastoration Church Planning International. Uh, at this point, hey, it would be it would be far-fetched to say I run anything anymore. Uh, having written most of the material and done loads of training, <clears throat> we're involved in about 60 countries of the world at one level or another. And um, 
really it's other younger men. You understand when I say younger, that's in comparison mm-hmm. to my age, uh, who are Relative, really doing yeah. yeah, who are doing everything. Um, and I, you know, years mm-hmm. ago, Mitch, probably when I was in my early fifties, um, I had asked God to give me a thousand young men and women worldwide who I could impact and on whose backs he would carry the evangelization of their nation. Mm. So uh, having begun that many years ago, that's where we started, you know, young, infantile and thinking uh, somewhat naive of the world. We hadn't seen it yet. But I I think both Patty and I felt what 200 years or more of um, of uh, missionary type people have felt. And that is, how do you, you know, how do you finish the task? Mm-hmm. What do we do to get this over with? Mm-hmm. And and I think I could honestly say, even at this age, I'm still asking that question. Now, I've also come to realize <clears throat> that I'm probably not going to be here for the end of the task. Uh, mm-hmm. But I can see more of that answer now than I could even 20 years ago. So I, I would say that... Um, Right now, my role is to continue to inspire younger men, and more importantly, to keep their lives in measurement to the the words that they use. I love that. Well, when you're talking about some of the passions and desires that you'd like to see during your lifetime, I uh, I, I prayed for years that I would see during my life the the uh, uh, the end of abortion, and it. So last year, when you know Roe v. Wade was over, and I know you know. Still up to the states, but I, you know it's like Wilfin. I think you know several months after he, his death, uh, you know he saw that happen. So I, that, that's uh, I love that. Maybe this is an encouragement to those who are in our you know in the season of life that you and I are are at. That uh, you know maybe we take something and just make it a, a hard burden, and and even see what we do uh, you know related to that that one passion or desire. Uh, the other thing I'd love to see North Korea open before the end of my life. Yeah. That's been my yeah. that's been my other yeah. focus of, yeah. of prayer. Well, that leads. Uh, I think that leads beautifully to the topic about your book. Uh, as you have interacted a lot with young leaders and you travel a lot, um, you've seen the struggles that that leaders have, that young men have, young women have, and uh, the title of your book is Freedom from Bondage to the Flesh. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, what did you write? Uh, why did you write this book? Well, I, I, I've actually written two books on the flesh. The first one, after I got done with it, it was longer. And the more I read it, the more I realized that it was really more of a theology on evil and sin mm-hmm. and uh, the, the relation of those to, to, to the flesh in us. But then I kept interacting with uh, younger people, and I have all along, and we're all surprised by sadness uh, when we hear this event or that event or this failure or, you know, this resignation for a, a less than moral reason or this ethical question that goes on in leadership. Um, and I realized that that first book was not directed precisely enough at answering the question, okay, well, if this is what evil and flesh and and sin is all about, then how do you actually get victory over it? Mm-hmm. And so I, I really wanted to be able to go to younger people and say, you know, God has an answer here. Yeah, you might have to use a counselor to facilitate something. <clears throat> yeah, you might read a book like mine that might help thoughts. But God himself does heal people. 
And uh, you're going to have to access that healing because, uh, you know, it's not as if these things have never been here. But I think as I, I recently wrote in something else I'm doing, um, we do live in a pornographic nature, uh, mm. a pornographic culture. And by pornographic, I don't mean pornography. I mean the whole mm. idea of overt, rebellious, uh, crude, uh, you know, debauched, you know, use any word you want. It is all wide open and inflamed. And, and I, I don't think that many young leaders um, have thought about uh, what their history has been, the, the flames and the, and the pains that reside inside of them, and what they're going to do when that temptation to that particular failure, whatever it is, <clears throat> comes at it again, at them again, and they thought, well, this is never going to hit me again. Hey, mm. no. It's going to stop hitting you when your body's in the ground and you're dead. Uh, because until then, that body is still full of all the things that Jesus died for. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I love the emphasis on uh, understanding the flesh, and we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, but I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to ask you, what did you learn about yourself? From well, I mean, obviously, a part of the book writing is, this book. Right, yeah, obviously, part of writing the book is coming to grips with the areas of my own background and life and decisions mm -hmm. that I knew God wanted to heal. And I had to begin to navigate for myself the scriptures that God gave to me that would bring healing on those things. I am unapologetically committed to scripture as a healing bomb. Mm. I don't apologize for that. Everybody else supports it, but God is the healer. And his word being inspired, regenerative, you know, being uh, the, the things that God wants us to understand it, it is the, the bomb that God wants to use to, A, expose. And so I opened myself to exposure all those years and then answer the question, well, what are some of the disciplines that you put in place to apply God's word for that healing? So I, you know, I hope that yeah, without man. talking about my siphoning, because I don't do a whole lot of example telling. <clears throat> I don't do a whole, I really want to let God's word talk because I think it has a way to speak to people in its own precise way. So for you personally, it was the, you found, did you find it the, the disciplines of, of being in the word, believing the word, teaching and preaching uh, became like the strengthening of muscles? Because that's, that's really encouraging for people that are younger <laughs> to say, hey, uh, this is a battle that I can win. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more later about the, the disciplines of reading the word. But as you look yeah. back now, it's, it's got to be super encouraging to see the effects of that, that it works. Yep. I, you know, the two disciplines are generic. Number one, it was no to what was around me and in me, and yes to what God the Spirit was saying through the inspired word of God. Again, mm -hmm. and again, and again, and again, and again, as Jesus did in his temptation that it was enough in the mind to be able to access what should be spoken. Yeah, uh, I love that. Well, let's talk about the flesh. How, how does the Bible uh, speak about it? Uh, what is it about the flesh that perhaps we don't understand or, or appreciate that much? Well, one of the things that really, not only the context of young younger leaders, the failures that we, we hear of, uh, the struggles that are around them, the nature of the culture we live in, and its constant drain on these younger leaders, um, even church culture, was was leading me down that contextual path. 
But on the other side, I had written a book a number of years ago called Divine Design. And I had done a whole lot of work on Genesis 1, 2, and 3. 1, 2, and 3. Which Mm -hmm. finally for me became sort of the, ah, uh, this is the preface to the Bible. Because it is, in one way, the biography of God. What he's doing, who he is, and how he transacts time. Now, how he wanted to transact time in Genesis 1 and 2 becomes dramatically different to how he then has to transact time in Genesis 3, mm. because we have the failure there in ge- the, towards the end of chapter 2 and the pronouncements of Genesis 3. And so the more I looked at that, uh, the more I realized that, yes, evil was present because Satan was present before we were present, but in terms of humanity— uh, the very antagonism of wanting to be God, wanting to be equal with God, or more importantly, being disobedient to God, or as I say, simply disbelieving God, mm. then opens up the, the corruption of the human nature. Not corrupted, unproven, until the moment of that failure. Everything that God expects in Genesis 1 and 2 before the fall, I think, becomes the restoration of the end of Revelation. He goes back and begins to do everything he promised to do. So we have a historical hiccup running from Genesis 3 to the end of Revelation, where God is now going back and persisting to redeem out of our disobedience those he created never to see disobedience. We were never intended to see unrighteousness. We were not intended to be pained and wounded and struggled with. But the disobedience becomes a huge eternal juxtaposition moment. And when people decide, do I believe God or do I disbelieve God? And Adam and Eve disbelieved God. And when they did, their nature become cor- came, became corrupted. That nature now was the residence of evil, disobedience, disregard, antagonism, unrighteousness, which then continues until the body, which is the resident of that, um, mm. dies. Now, obviously, the mind, the heart, the will, and the uh, the heart, pardon me, the emotions, and then the will all become involved in that. And so I can have in my mind the right answers as Adam and Eve did. Now, you know, God didn't try to explain every to them of their failure. It wasn't as if they understood why he said, of that, of that, of that tree, just don't eat it. Because mm-hmm. there is in it the tree, there is in it the fruit of, of, of good and evil. I've created you to know good. I didn't create you to know evil. You don't know how to handle evil. And, and so all they had to do was say, we believe you. But because of antagonisms, egotism, temptation, uh, wanting to be equal, well, maybe I'll be smarter than I want to be. Maybe there's something God's not being fully truthful about. All the machinations we go through. And, and God says, if you disobey me, you'll die. Mm. So you set within your body the death, the death principle, the death march. Yeah. And so to me, that's what evil is. It's the reflection of that original disobedience. And sin is merely the expression that inside me is, is evil. Yeah. Yeah. So the flesh is, is, is our corruption as we are, we are, yeah. Yeah. as we say in theology, depraved, we're, our bent is to do wrong. And it's not yeah. just our physical yeah. flesh. It's, it's who we are, our mind, our emotions, yeah, and not, our heart, as, as you said. Yeah. It's in the mind and it's in the body. 
but it's in those places because it's generated by something much deeper inside of us that's resident within us. All right. I found it fascinating that you start the book by talking about heresy, particularly the, uh, the heresy of Pelagianism. Uh, and, and it's what keeps us from, from recognizing our sinful nature. So, so talk to us about that, because I found that fascinating. Well, all I was trying to say is, you know, the heresies of the past come around again. There are, new, no, there are no new heresies. They're mm-hmm. just repackaged. So it's heresies. because they worked. They worked. So oh, the yeah, enemy yeah, keeps using yeah. them. <laughs> but He's not very original, one, is he? One of the more dangerous in our society is the very idea that, well, you know, I'm not as bad as you're trying to tell me I am. Or, you know, uh, I really am good. Or it's really all about me. It's, you know, it's all about me making good choices, about being the good that I am. And whereas I understand that as a motivation for, you know, young kids, you say, you don't want to say to every young kid, you're a horrible batter. Mm-hmm. That was a ho- that was a horrible thing you did. You know, that kick you made in, in soccer, man, that was the worst we've ever. I understand you want to crush people's spirits. But theologically, there is in this flesh, this body, mm. nothing good, nothing redemptive from God's point of view. Now, there is left over in us some residue of the image of God, and therefore, whatever of that image can be teased out, even by non-Christians, is capable of exceptional things. And so that's why all the creations of men and women down through the generations have, have been wonder after wonder after wonder after wonder. But, but still down inside of us, God says, that's not how I created you, and that's not the redemptive idea that I'm looking for. You don't understand how limited you are, I think is what God is saying. Yes, you have great capacity because my image still resides in you. But what happens when you get rid of that rebellion and now all you know is righteousness? What happens then? You haven't even begun to fathom what the the genius of human creation is now released to be fully expressive of the divine image. And, And so I think, you know, that's where the the constant battle is, is theologically understanding that there is nothing good in me and not trying to redeem constantly in terms of righteousness, things that are not righteous. Um, Because if God doesn't generate them, they can't be righteous, even when they look like they're good humanly, because we are capable of human good, but we're not capable of divine good, except as is generated by the Holy Spirit. And that becomes generated from a total different place in our being once we become followers of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I so, love that. yeah, that, be, that becomes the difficulty, huh? And so I want younger yeah. people. Yeah. Well, you know, Barna, 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 Barna. So, yeah, sorry, a little delay there. Uh, yeah. The, the, the Pelagianism is just a, a, re, a, a restatement of an old idea that we don't have any innate sin. It's what we choose that is the sin. But mm-hmm. that's not the story of Genesis 1 and 2. And, and I think what happens is Christians, if they begin to buy that argument, then they're shocked when all of a sudden temptation doesn't go away. Whoa, where'd that thought come from? Whoa, why did he fail? Whoa, I don't think I can ever follow a pastor again because I've had three that failed. It's like, what well, you're not understanding the very nature of the uh, flesh inside of you. And so you're shocked. Yeah, that, that's that's powerful. Uh, well, Barna uh, gives a statistic that 70% of Christians believe we're basically good, 
Um, and, and again, that's a heresy. How, how did we get there? What what has gone wrong? What is wrong in our yeah. in our presentation of the gospel? I, I know this could take us in a whole different direction, but how would you sum yeah. it up? Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of th- reasons. I mean, philosophically, it's been a battle for hundreds of years. Um, mm-hmm. Theologically, it's been a battle for hundreds of years. But I think it comes back to this. Do I believe that what God says in Scripture is representative of who he is and what he wants? And do I believe it is understandable? And so if I don't, then I'm easily swayed by people who want to want to say to me, well, the Bible is more complicated than you understand. Uh, recently, another commentator, I, you know, he wrote, well, people are not trustable with the Bible. They can't understand it. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. So God gave this revelation knowing he wouldn't be understood. Is that what you're saying to me? Well, you know, they need the Greek and they need the Hebrew and they need the commentary. It's like, no, 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 no. In my mind, the very act of revelation presumes intelligibility, that God intends to be understood. And yes, there may be some nuances that are more difficult, but even if you can't read, what you can hear can be understood. And so I think that what happens is, is we waver away from the simplicity of understanding exactly what God said to Eve. In the day that you eat it, you're going to die. Mm. Don't eat it. That's pretty easy. Ah, but it's a choice. Yeah. Well, the uh, one of the you know to answer the question of what has gone wrong to add what you shared, uh, we there's a lot of emphasis today of how the cross, you know, Jesus dying for us is proof of how valuable we are to God. And even a lot of the modern songs that we sing <clears throat> kind of express that, that loving, you know, like you, who would, who would die for someone unless that, unless you feel like that person is, is, is valuable. Uh, what's wrong with that thinking? In fact, you, you mentioned in, uh, I think one of your chapter headings were worse than we, when we are worse than we think we, we like to think, I think is what, uh, yeah. Well, because, I mean, we we have to start with Scripture. I mean, how this this is a difficulty, bitch. It is our job to teach Scripture as it is, exactly as it is. But when we apply it to people, because you and I are fallible, just like they are, we apply it with compassion. Mm. But I'm going to make the, even though I'm going to apply it with compassion, I'm not going to allow it to change the nature of what God says. God says emphatically... I apply compassionately because I'm applying it to humanity, to myself even. But that doesn't change the truth. And so when we start with the very nature of evil, which, I mean, Paul says, look, you you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Yeah, you do. But what you're really wrestling against is the manipulation of flesh and blood and politics and world history by forces that you can't see. But they're up there waged against God to do destruction of God if they can. And the most the most vulnerable piece of God's creation is you and me. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. if they can array themselves against all of that, then they can do what they think is damage to God. And I, so I think you have to start with the fact God makes pronouncements. So when God makes these pronouncements, what goes on in the in the culture that you just talked about is we don't want to hear that. Oh, yeah. that offends me. Yeah. Well, yeah. So what you're saying, what you're saying is that that if you want to know what you're really like, don't look at yourself or others. Look at what the scripture says. The scriptures 
are what tell us what we're really like, what our nature yeah. is. But the second part of that is, is, as you and I know, once we come to Christ, we no longer look at ourselves as ourselves. We look at ourselves mm. as in Jesus. In Jesus. And so God now has a totally different attitude toward us because he sees us in his son. Yeah, yes, we still have yeah. we still have rebellion and disobediences and difficulties. And I don't want to ignore the fact that God that God sees those, but God has made those to be changed by the new resurrection that I have with Jesus Christ. And so now when he sees me, he sees me in Jesus. And he wants me to see me in Jesus. Because if I do, then I want the things of Jesus purified in and the things of my old life purified out. Yeah. So, so believe who we are before we meet Christ and believe, believe who we are as righteous after absolutely. we meet Christ. That's, that's absolutely. Beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, innateness, kindness, good control, self-control. They are all natural fruit of the Holy Spirit. I want those. But if I analyze my life, Mitch, I could probably find two or three things in every one of those that I could show you that didn't demonstrate that. So yeah. I'm willing to analyze that and say, Spirit, I know that the natural flesh, the natural fruit to me is the flesh. And he names all of those in Ephesians, you know, three and four. I want those gone. Yeah. But in order to get them gone, I have to realize they're there. But I want the fruit of the Spirit. So I have to analyze what's still in me from the flesh, reject it, identify it, reject it, and then constantly say to the spirit, I want its alternative. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, the rest of them. Yeah. It's a daily yeah. battle. It's I, a daily uh, battle. Yeah, we, we tend to we yeah, we tend to talk more easily about the fruit of the spirit than the fruit of the flesh. Uh, we yeah. bought my granddaughter a poster that we put uh, <laughs> so we have the Ten Commandments and then we have the fruit of the spirit next to that. And uh, we'll point to it. You know, we have a little table where she colors and, <laughs> and we'll talk about the Ten Commandments. You know, if she if she does, if we're talking about someone who did something. I'll say, hey, which of the Ten Commandments do you think yeah, uh, yeah, was broken yeah, there? And then yeah. to say if she does something wonderful, uh, we'll say, Anora, you, you know, what you just did right now was uh, was kindness. You know, so, but we don't we don't do that so easily with the flesh. So I think I need to get another poster that uh, <laughs> that has the well, acts of the flesh. But but we don't talk about that as easily. That's my point. They're both together in Ephesians. Yeah, exactly. They're yes. there. They're there yeah. in Galatians. They're bad. You know, all of that is there. So yeah, yeah. Well, I love I love where uh, to, you know towards the middle of the book you you begin to offer hope. You know, you've explained and defined what the flesh is. Uh, and, and what we're what we're saying here is you don't reject the flesh altogether. It's redeemed. And I love your your emphasis on the flesh becoming a servant of Christ, because uh, I think sometimes we and maybe it's a kind of a Gnosticism to say that we, you know, discard the flesh completely or our body, you know, who we are. But but talk about what it means to to surrender the flesh to for the flesh to become a servant of, of Christ. Yeah. Well, that's what Rome, Paul says in Romans 6, 7, and 8, you know, that we have a choice that we can make about this body. And the body is the mind, which has the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth. All of those things feed, 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 uh, feed the body. But mm -hmm. the mind has to then be fed with, with something. And if you're not fed by the Word of God, then there's not too many redemptive things you're fed by. And because You'll be fed by something. 
Oh, yeah. absolutely. And because we all can remember those days before Jesus or the days of being neophytes, young births in Jesus, we can remember all the things that fed the mind. And, but the mind then, which you know, is dominate dominates the body, but the body is the entrance to all of those things into the mind. The mind then has to be re-engaged, has to be engaged with the word of God and begin to fill it now with the information from God about who he is and how he acts in, the, in history and what he wants to do in us, as well as what he's already done in us. So that then conflicts with emotions because emotions are easily carried away to my re- my personal redemptive value. Now, it's redemptive in Jesus, but it's not redemptive without Jesus in the same in, in the same sense. Not that there isn't good, the good is the residual of God in man. That so often we have to say no to the emotional response, feed the mind which gets fed through the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the ears. We have to discipline those things that come into the mind. And then eventually, the mind having been informed, um, I got to make a decision. And, and the will is where the really the battle is. There's a battle that goes on in the mind, but the battle in the mind is what you allow into it. The ultimate battle is the will. I choose to believe what you will do. Yeah. I choose to believe what God says in his word that I put in my mind. Yeah. You call those the gateway of the flesh, yes. uh, the, yes, the mind, gateways. the emotions, yeah, yeah, the, and, and the will. Yeah, well, especially the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the ears. Mm-hmm. They're all feeders. They're all feeders. To the mind. What goes into the mind, mm-hmm. and 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 you think about it. You know how many feeders there are. Well, you're every day you're fed by thousands and thousands of inputs that come into all of those things. And you know we can't be OCD about it. But we do need to know there are some things that are coming through the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the ears that are so destructive for us not to recognize them, even our history in them, is to invite damage. And then we wonder why, why are we depressed? Why are we struggling? You know, why am I not believing God? It's because you've allowed antagonistic things to come into your mind through these other gateways. And now your emotions become overwhelmed with these gateway inputs, and rather than taking in God's word. Now, you and I both know, Mitch, the number one problem with Christians, they do not crack the Bible mm. and spend time with God in it. And I don't mean a, a legalistic reading of Scripture. I mean a, an engaging of God in Scripture, where he now you know builds me up with everything I need to be able to say no to what's left in my cerebrum, my brain, which is antagonistic to believing God. And so it's like, well, I, you know, I meet with young men. Uh, well, you know, how are you doing with God's word? Well, I'm struggling. Well, what do you mean you're struggling? Well, I'm not as regular as I need to be. Okay, well, why? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But number one, it's laziness. Mm. Okay. Mm. And so I said, well, that thought you're having, it's natural to your flesh. Do you know how to get rid of it? Well, you know, what they want is a pill or a juice or a super sermon. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's already dealt with that, but you're not accessing God's dealing. And so so I think we see, that's why I mentioned in there the one young I met with who, who had a lot in his head about Scripture and was disciplined. And he said to me, but he had already failed on something. I won't talk about that. Um, and I said, well, do you ever talk to the Holy Spirit? And he looked at me like, 
like, I, you know, what? What are you talking about? Well, the Holy Spirit really superintended the writing of Scripture. Oh, and the Holy Spirit knows the mind of the Father. And the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father because Jesus asked. Oh, and by the way, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit mm. is the one using the Word of God to counterbalance the other words in your mind that all came from you in the world. Do you ever talk to him and say, you know, Holy Spirit, what is it you want to teach me from this inspired word that I read today that becomes protective of the failures that you and I know I have in my background that I want to bring victory to? And so it's almost this dialogue. People would say, well, you're schizophrenic. You're talking to yourself. No, I'm talking to the Holy Spirit. Is that not what prayer is? I have this ongoing dialogue with the Holy Spirit about his world, word in his world, about how he wants me to navigate life, which part of it is righteousness. And so I want to know what the fruit of the Spirit is, because I want to know what the fruit of the, of the flesh is, the fruits of the flesh are, because I want, to, I want to see those brought to death and the Spirit brought to life. Why wouldn't I converse with the Spirit unless I don't believe he's there? Yeah. Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And when we talk about surrendering our, you know, every part of us to, to Christ uh, by the help of the Holy Spirit through scripture, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, Corinthians, I forget exactly where, but it talks about offering the parts of our members of our body as instruments of righteousness, you yeah. know, a, a hand that, that would hit someone before Christ is now open yep, to help. Yep. So every part of us is, is redeemable. Yeah. And yeah, uh, that's where, yeah, that's, I, I found that, a, that's Romans six. You take the yeah, body. That's right. Yeah, so that's take, right. You take, you take the gateways, name them and give them to give them to the spirit. Yeah. yeah I love it. It's being very specific, isn't it? It's not just uh, you know, uh, theoretical. It's uh, yeah. I had a, I had a prayer. I do. I have a prayer that I often will pray, Lord, I give you this mouth that I might, uh, speak things that are that build others up. I give you this mind that might think about those things that are, you know, praiseworthy and honorable. Philippians four eight. I I give you these ears that I might listen carefully to the needs of others. I give you these hands that I might do with them what pleases you. I give you these feet so I might go where you want me to go. And it, it just becomes very real. You know, it's not just a, a spiritual reflective thing. It's a and so we need to see our, ourselves submitting our bodies to Christ. And, uh, and I think what we find, well, let, let's talk about the victory. How, how, how would you describe victory in Christ as we wrap this up here? Well, I mean, you think about the, you know, the two most dangerous gateways are the eyes and the mouth. <laughs> in terms mm -hmm. of, what, pardon me, I would say I'm eyes, eyes in the ear because the mouth is the tongue. Because mm -hmm. it, it yeah. speaks it. But the, but the ears and the eyes. And, and I think part of what I ask young men and women to do is think about the things you allow to come into your eyes, because what you allow to come into your eyes goes straight to your brain. Mm -hmm. and, if it, and if you don't have a biblical sieve inside of it, then it gets cluttered in there, unknown to you, and it'll come back up somewhere uh, in, in a weakness in you. The same with your ears. And so I, I think that what we don't want to hear I remember one man told me, I don't like you talking about spiritual discipline. Why? Well, because it's grace. It's like, no, no, it's grace that I've been brought to salvation because God's mercy has been poured over me. But from there on, it's the discipline of God working righteousness in me. 
And that takes cognitive effort. I got to think about that mm. because I'm, I'm in a war with everything that's left over. Now, the great thing is that the war's over the moment I die. That's why we don't, this body doesn't go into eternity. God gives us a new one that yeah. has no flesh in it, no rebellion in it. But until then, I can't be um, too vigilant. Now, isn't it interesting that so much of the Bible has warnings in it? They warn about this. They warn again, again, and again, and again, and again. Mm. Because I think I think that God knows our, our danger is passivity. Riding through life simply because I made a confession. Mm. Now, I'm not questioning salvation. I'm advocating sanctification. And that's a battle. That's a difficulty. I got to think about it. And so, yeah, not only every morning, but maybe hours throughout the day, I've got to deal with the Holy Spirit when I'm what I know. The more I know of the Word of God, the more I know of how to use it. And so when I have an anger coming up in me, if I've attuned myself to God's Word, given permission to the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit's going to say to me, huh, you, you got anger rising in you. What are you going to do with it? Ah, I'm going to be a peacemaker. Why? Mm. Because Jesus is a peacemaker, and I'm a child of Jesus. So those are all nuances that if we don't, we don't do them, we float through life. And then it, maybe for many people, maybe for some people, it's safe. But in leadership, for most younger leaders, it's not safe. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Dwight, how would you sum up in a sentence or two everything we've talked about here? Because in 35 minutes, we have talked a lot <laughs> about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope it's uh, be aware of your life. Be aware mm -hmm. of the Word of God. Be aware of the resonance of the Holy Spirit. And learn to say no to the things that you know you should say no to so that you can say yes to the things that God wants to mm -hmm. do. And you know what you oh, find? God, God will heal you. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. We, we could have just started out with that and finished this in three <laughs> minutes, Dwight. Yeah, we could have. <laughs> Dwight, I always, like to, I always like to close by asking my guest uh, to ask me any question you want, whether it's related to this or anything else, just to kind of well, leave the door here in a little bit more of a yeah, lighter. Your discussions that you have with people, are you encouraged with the people that you talk to? Yeah, when when uh, I do a lot of counseling and, and I tend to, when, when people are referred to me, it's usually because they're, they're pretty far down uh, a very bad situation, often marriages. And, uh, and it's so amazing to me that, and I tell them, I, I say, it's very likely by the end of this session, you're going to leave here hopeful. And, uh, and, and I, and, and they do, because I talk about the gospel. I talk about uh, what the Word of God says about themselves and about what marriage is, and uh, and if we don't obey God, you know, I, I talk a lot about obedience. You know, what does God want? What do you want? If what you want is different than what God wants, then there needs to be some adjustments here, mm. and mm. Uh, and you need to walk away from what you want and desire what God wants, and and so, yeah, I, I'm super encouraged. I, I, I have found in the last couple of years that uh, I've seen a lot of healing in, in broken marriages. Uh, so great, that's, great that's question. Be, that's because you believe God can heal people. Oh, absolutely. Well, I've seen him do it to us. You know, I've seen how he has met us in, in the darkest times, you know, and, mm -hmm. and continues to, you know, we're dealing with some things in our family right now that I, I have the same hope for as I did 
20 years ago when you know we lost our son and we had to you know deal with that loss and uh, the promises of god are more meaningful and uh and i meant to ask you earlier talk a little bit about you know the importance but you've done this to uh, to, to think spiritually, to think eternally, and uh, and to talk often with people about spiritual things. You know, I think we can reflect on a lot of our relationship and how often is the conversation about Christ and about the gospel. Uh, so I'm being a lot more intentional in this season of my life to have conversations about the gospel. And uh, it's not that that's what I want to be remembered by, but uh, but in a sense, it is. <laughs> yeah, so. good. Good, good. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you, Dwight. Any final thoughts as we as we wrap up here? No, I just I, I'm dealing with a young, another young man, and I haven't seen him recently. But I'm when I I want to say to him, you know, of all the things that he's going through, I want to start out with this: God can heal you. Now you've got to accept that and act on it. But I want him to bring to the front of his lobe, right there in the front of it, God can heal you. Now the question yeah. is, do you want to be healed? Yeah. 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 Yes, Lord. Uh, me, wonderful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dwight. You did a yeah. wonderful job and I appreciate your book. We'll put promote that on the podcast. And I know you're traveling to the Middle East tomorrow. Is that correct? Yeah, I am. Okay. Okay. Well, blessings on you and may the Lord Jesus continue to use you as he has. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah, bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments that you want to make, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And remind you also, you can look at 106 other podcasts at my website, www.beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged.